Well, good morning, church. I want to first introduce myself if we have any guests. My name is Isaiah Shack. I am the youth minister here, and I have the opportunity to preach this morning um, as Scott, our lead teaching elder, is under the weather. With that said, this morning we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 29 through 39 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible in the seats or underneath the seat in front of you. Um, If you don't have a Bible, let that be our gift to you this morning. You are more than willing or more than able to take that home with you. As we begin this morning, I want to spend some time talking about a man named Eric Wise, or Eddie Wise for short. This man was born in 1874 in Budapest, Hungary. His father was a Jewish rabbi who moved his family of nine to Appleton, Wisconsin in 1878. They arrived on the SS Frisia July 3rd and began their new life in America. Eddie's father was a rabbi up until 1882 when he lost his position. Now because of this, Eddie's father and family fell into deep poverty and moved from Appleton to Milwaukee. Eddie's father moved himself and Eddie to a boarding home, though, in New York City in 1887 in hopes to find work. And once Eddie's father was able to, he planned to find permanent housing so that the rest of his family could move with he and his son. During this time, Eddie began doing all kinds of weird jobs that a teenager could do to help out his father. And it was at 13 years old, this young man named Eddie fell in love with the stage. This was not just any stage, this was the circus stage. Young Eddie was fascinated by the trapeze artist and began his job in the circus doing that very thing very shortly after that fascination of it began. But it was in 1894 that Eddie launched his career as a professional magician and renamed himself Harry Houdini. Now, some of you may know Harry Houdini was one of the world's greatest magicians and stage performers. He was known for his wild stunts that seemed to be, and what seemed to be miraculous near-death escapes. Houdini at that time developed quite a following, and because of it, was a very wealthy man. And even still to this day, his fame lives on as magicians and stage performers try to mimic his stunts and his tricks. He was a man that lived for the fame because of all these amazing tricks and stunts that he performed. Now, the reason I tell this story of Houdini is because as we read, or as we will read in our text this morning, I want us to think about the heart of Christ when he performs miracles, and even his heart after. So with that said, let us read our text for this morning and begin to unpack the heart of the healer. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29, it says this, And he immediately left the synagogue, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And when he came and took her by the hand he, and lifted her up, 
the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Father, we've prayed much, but Father, we do want to pray once more, Lord, that your word would be faithfully taught. It would not be my words, but it would be your spirit's words flowing from me, Father. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to build up your church, to sanctify your people. Pray that you would use your word to soften hearts and lead them to yourself through your spirit. Father, we pray for both wisdom and discernment and your glory to be made known. Lord, we love you and we long for the day of your son's return. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So what we see immediately starting in verse 29 is a continuation of events that took place in verses prior to this. Jesus, in these verses, had just begun his ministry of teaching and healing. In those verses, we read of Jesus healing a man of an unclean spirit. It was the Sabbath day, and Jesus had entered into the synagogue and began teaching. And as the people, as we read, the people were astonished by the things that he taught because he was teaching with authority like no one else had before. Then a man with an unclean spirit cried out in verse 24 with these words, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. When Jesus heard those words, he rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And what we read was that immediately the demon that possessed the man came out of him and the people were amazed. Again, never before had they seen someone teach with so much authority and have the power to simply speak a demon and speak to a demon and command him to flee from the body it possessed. Because of this miraculous exorcism, the people in the synagogue immediately began telling everyone what they had seen. Verse 28 says that his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. I imagine the crowd after Houdini performed one of his death-defying stunts, just like the crowd that witnessed Jesus' miracles, they immediately went out and told everyone what they had seen. For Houdini, that is exactly what he desired. Houdini built his empire on the fame he acquired. More fame meant more stunts, and more stunts meant more money. But this was not the heart of Jesus. Christ did not desire fame or fortune. What he desired was to fulfill his ministry to his father. This is why in verse 29, as soon as the people left the synagogue and went to tell everyone what they had witnessed, 
Verse 29 again says, immediately he left the synagogue and he entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But what's interesting about the heart of Christ is that though he did not desire this praise from the people because of the miracles he performed, he still had compassion on those who were sick and he chose to heal them. I mean, we look no further than verses 30 and 31 that again say, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So after Jesus and his four disciples left this synagogue, the plan was to go to Peter's house where they would eat a meal prepared by Peter's mother-in-law. This was a customary meal that took place on the Sabbath after meeting in the synagogue and was served at about the sixth hour, which is noon, which is why I guess we Baptists are so strong on getting out by noon. It's biblical. But jokes aside, when Jesus and his disciples arrived at Peter's house, they were expecting to eat this meal together. But instead, they found Peter's mother-in-law sick with the fever. Now, obviously, the disciples knew the power Jesus had to heal. I mean, they had just seen him command a demon to come out of a man by words alone. So when they found her sick with the fever, they immediately told Jesus about her. We see that without hesitation, Christ came to her side and he healed her. But I want us to read the other accounts of this healing so that we can have a full picture of what really took place in the home of Peter. So Luke chapter 4, verse 38 says this in this account. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him, that being Christ, on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with the fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. So the picture is that Jesus stood by her side, took her by the hand, rebuked the fever, and then he lifted her up. This is the compassionate heart of Christ, the heart that if we know him, we have experienced. He drew near to us who were in need of a healer to take away the disease of sin, to reach out in compassion and rebuke the sin from our lives and place it upon himself and lift us up. This is Christ who is mighty to save. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. He's the greatest treasure of our longing soul. And what a precious hope we have if we have trusted in Jesus. So if you do not know Christ this morning, know that in the same way he reaches out to heal the women in the text, he reaches out to you to do the same. 
But church, let the way in which Christ chooses to heal encourage you this morning. He acts upon compassion. And if we have placed our faith in him, we should seek to do the same. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be heralds of the gospel message. But we cannot do that if our biggest concern is shouting at the lost that they are wrong and we are right. What they need to hear is our compassion, not our condemnation upon them. Most of us in here, I'm sure, know John 3.16 like it's written on our hearts. But have you paid attention to the words that follow in verse 14, or excuse me, verse 17? Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Christ in his first coming was not sent into the world to preach a message of condemnation, but to speak and act with compassion in order to save lost souls. So let the example of Christ feel the way in which you seek to live and proclaim the gospel message. And just so we're clear, there is a time in which Christ will return and condemnation will come with him. But it is not our responsibility to make that judgment. Of course, as followers of Christ, we have the responsibility to call out evil and to act against it. But if our sole purpose to fight against evil is to prove we are right, then we have missed that opportunity that has been given to us to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth of God's word, where we find compassion, mercy, and grace in a Savior. If we are not willing to see the broken heart of a sinner and have compassion upon them, we must have missed the part of Scripture where Paul writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our first act towards one another should always be that of compassion. Because as we see in verse 31 of this chapter in Mark, that is the heart of our Lord. He did not ask how she became sick or make his healing conditional. He simply acted upon compassion, took her by the hand, and he healed her. And what's also crucial for us not to miss is the end of this verse. And it's the women's response. After she was healed, what did she do? It says in every account of this healing, she began to serve him. This woman had been touched by Jesus and because of it, she was going to serve him. If you are here this morning, and you claim the title of Christian, yet your response has never been to serve Christ and proclaim the message of the gospel that apparently saved you, and you simply bear a title that holds no weight. You are lukewarm, meaning that there is no faith in you. Because as we are called to Christ, we are saved to serve him. 
This is why in our covenant statement that we make together as a church, some of the statements we make is that I will regularly attend the corporate gatherings of the Fairway Church family and remain active in the Sunday Bible study group for discipleship and accountability. Also says, I will practice the spiritual disciplines of reading scripture, prayer, and fasting as I seek the will of God for my life, my family, my church, and my community. And it also says, I will daily look for opportunities to share the gospel so that I participate in the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things within our statement, when it's all boiled down to it, is to serve Christ. Because if we are not serving, then we are not going to be growing. So this is just my encouragement to each of you in here this morning. If you are a Christian, go and serve. If you're a member here and you need somewhere to serve, I would encourage you to come and talk with the elders of the church and they will gladly find a place for you to do that here. If you're a Christian here and you're not a member of our church, but you desire to serve, Come talk to us about what that looks like, first to join our church and then to serve alongside our people. If you're not a Christian, but you have a tugging on your heart to serve, the encouragement is the same. Come and talk to us. First, we would love for you to hear more about why we as Christians take action and serve. Only Christ can put it in our hearts, the needs of others, so that we can do our best to meet them. But the needs we will meet will always be temporary. But Christ desires to meet them for you eternally. And the last thing I'll say on the ending of verse 31 comes from a story written in actually one of the commentaries I used when studying this passage. And it was an encounter that Charles Spurgeon had. Those of you who don't know Charles Spurgeon, he was a great, great preacher uh, that has much to offer. The story that is told, though, comes from a woman who was sitting under the preaching of Spurgeon and heard the gospel and was changed. She was healed by it. And this was her comment to Spurgeon after she had received Christ. She said to him, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, Christ has changed my life, and he shall never hear the end of it. What a simple but convicting statement that is to the Christian. Brothers and sisters, if our life has been changed by Christ, then let this world never see or hear the end of it. In our actions and in our proclamation. We have been saved to serve him. Let us do so arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, as we await his return. Back to the text. Now, as the day then progressed on into the evening, we read of Christ continuing his healing ministry. 
Verses 32 and 34, that evening, it says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So as evening came, word at this point had spread around Capernaum about the power that Christ had to heal and cast out demons. And the people found where he was. And the scriptures say the whole city was gathered at the door of Peter's house. Now, obviously, Mark is exaggerating a bit here, but the picture he is trying to convey is that there were numbers beyond what Peter could describe to him. For those of you who may not know, this gospel is the accounts of Peter, the apostle Peter, that is written down by his quote-unquote protege, John Mark. But with the exaggeration Mark makes in the text, we get a good picture of the crowd standing outside of the home of Peter. This crowd that surrounded Peter's house came for one reason, and that was for the power of Christ that he had to heal and cast out demons. The crowd was full of families who brought loved ones who were sick or possessed and needed Christ to heal them. And what do we see Christ do? He acts again with compassion and begins to heal many who were sick and cast out many demons. There were not stipulations made by Jesus or conditional agreements, meaning if I do this for you, you have to do something for me. Christ simply wanted to meet the needs of the people, and so he did. This is often the way that Christ acted in his earthly ministry. I mean, we look no further than one of the most famous miracles he performed, the feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, we see Jesus doing this very same thing that he is doing here in Mark chapter 1. He is preaching and he is healing people, and because of it, Just like we see in Mark, a crowd is accumulating around him. And when Jesus saw the crowd that was following him, and he knew that it was the day of the Passover where people were to feast together, to celebrate and remember God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt, he went to the mountaintop and he asked his disciples to gather what they could to feed the people. And when they came to him, All they had was five loaves of bread and two fish. And that wasn't going to feed 5,000 men, or let alone the families they brought with them. The number was probably closer to 10 to 15,000 people. But what we see Christ do is command the people to sit down, and then he tells his disciples to go and feed them. And so they do, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. 15,000 people were fed because Christ miraculously supplied more than enough food. By the end of it, they had leftovers. Because the people ate so much, and they ate all they could, but there was still more. 
And really within that, that's a whole nother sermon that we can preach. But I won't do that to you all this morning. Again, the reason I bring that up is because we see in this that Jesus' nature is always to meet the needs of those in need. Which is why we as Christians should seek to do the same. So church, let me ask you this question. What are we as Fairway Baptist Church doing to meet tangible needs in our community? I think if we're honest, we would all say not much. And I say that not to discourage us, but instead to challenge us, to challenge you and even myself. Because a church our size has the capabilities of meeting tangible needs, whether that be through offering a food bank, maybe a clothes closet, whatever else it may be. But if we have the resources here, we should be using them. I mean, think about it. We have a building right outside these doors that is being unused, that can be utilized in whatever capacity we see fit. So why not use it? Brothers and sisters, if there is something that you are passionate about that meets tangible needs in our community, do not hesitate in making that passion known and allow the church to come alongside you in your efforts. It's one thing to serve your community through individual efforts, but think about what it would look like to serve shoulder to shoulder with your church family. There are families and individuals who need help. And if we can help them, then that's what we should do. Why? Because that is always the way Christ sought to act towards those in need. If we have been changed by the gospel, then it should be that very thing that fuels us to serve and act the way Christ would and has already. We do not serve because we think it makes us good or because we think that it will make us better in God's sight. Not at all. Our greatest works are not worthy in the sight of God. The prophet Isaiah is very clear about that in, 60, in chapter 64, verse 6, when he says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And if I'm being honest, the translation really censors what Isaiah really means there. But regardless, our work should never be filled by trying to gain favor in God's sight. And again, this is not meant as a discouragement, but a challenge. Because we do so many other things well. And I can't tell you how encouraged I am to be a part of a church that truly prays for one another. That truly seeks to care for one another. I'm greatly encouraged by that. But again, what can we be doing for the community that is also around us? If
if we are in Christ. And in it is blood, it is his blood that flowed from the cross that covers over us and makes us righteous in God's sight, not our works. This is why salvation is a gift and all we must do to receive it is accept it. Because Christ has already done the work. He's already paid the price. So if we understand that, then whatever work we do, we do out of the love that Christ has already shown us. All of those things, if we are called to do them, come out in overflow of the salvation we have already received. This is why I say if you have a desire to serve but you're not yet in Christ, you first have to place your faith in him before he is glorified with the work you do. Because we do not believe in a salvation that is from works. And we do not believe we can work for it, we can earn it. We understand that we do these works not for our salvation, but from our salvation. So with all that said, let's now look at the remaining verses of our text. Verses 35 through 39 again say this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So after all the healing and casting out of demons ended, which went well into the night, Christ and his disciples rested. But verse 35 tells us that even while it was still dark, before the daylight broke, Christ got up and went to a desolate place and prayed. Church, we must not miss the significance of what is happening in this verse. What we see taking place in the text is Christ himself, the exact imprint of the nature of God, as the author of Hebrews writes in chapter one, verse three, is making intentional time for himself to be alone with his father in prayer. There is no doubt that he is exhausted from the night before. But he knows the most important thing for him to do is to spend time with his father. Because he knows in the time he spends with him, his soul will be replenished to fulfill his ministry he was sent to do. Brothers and sisters, we again must seek to mimic Christ in our lives. Too often is the case for Christians that we busy ourselves and we think we can do it all. And then we get burnt out. And the reason we are burnt out is because we have failed to make prayer a regular practice in our lives. Now, again, this is something that we do do well in this church. But just because we do it well, it does not mean that we should not continue to grow in it. 
Now, I'm not saying that just because we pray, we will always have strength and endurance to do whatever we need or want to do. Because the reality is we are limited beings. We are finite beings. We have a beginning. We have an end. We will always get tired. We will always need to make time for our bodies to rest. But what I am saying is there will be times when we have reached our limit. Just as Christ in his humanity probably had at this moment. But just like him, we need to go to the Father and spend time with him, understanding that he is the one that is the giver of strength and our sustainer. Again, if prayer and spending time in God's word is already a part of your daily routine, then be encouraged to know that it is never in vain. But if you're a Christian and you're not doing those things, then you need to make the time to, because without it, you will not grow in conformity to Christ. You are not allowing the Spirit to sanctify you in truth. You are claiming to belong to a father who you don't even talk to. And just as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. There are many moments where I fail to make this a discipline in seasons. Where I feel like in those seasons, I am exhausted. And I'm reminded by the Spirit. But the seasons which we go through that are exhausting, if we are dependent upon the Lord, and we count it all joy, knowing it is for our sanctification and his glory. But if we are not going to him in those seasons of, of exhaustion, then it's much easier to say, well, woe is me, and complain but let us run to our Father as we see Christ does in this moment. In verse 36, we see the disciples are now awake and they're looking for Jesus. It says they were actually searching for him, but he was nowhere to be found. Verse 37 then tells us they finally find him. And as always, Peter is the first to speak. And he says, everyone is looking for you. The tone that Peter took here is a tone that we would imagine a big brother would take towards his little brother after searching all around town for hours because he wanted to make sure he was safe. So there was a little tone of anger in Peter's voice because, again, he couldn't find Jesus anywhere. But if we pay attention to all that has gone on throughout these verses, then we know Peter's words are not just simply a concern for Jesus. When he and the other disciples found him and told him that everyone was looking for him, 
What that also meant is that everyone was looking for him because of what he had done the night before. Nobody was looking for Jesus before all of this happened, but they were surely looking for him now because they had heard what he had done. So Peter, along with the other disciples, wanted to continue to build off the excitement of the crowd and make Jesus' known, make Jesus' name known, excuse me, not just in Capernaum, but everywhere. The people wanted more of Jesus. I mean, when Peter says that everyone was looking for him, he means everyone. But the people were looking for him for the wrong reasons. The people were looking for Jesus because they had heard and seen what he could do. Not because of the message that he came to bring. If we again recall the events that took place in John chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he does the same thing that he does here in Mark 1. He leaves. And he goes out by himself and spends spends time with his father. And when the disciples finally catch up, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And listen to Jesus' words back to them in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus knew that the only reason why the crowd was going to seek him out the next morning was because they had eaten their fill of food and wanted him to supply more. But just like here in Mark, that is not the reason Christ wanted people to follow him. Because what he was doing was only meeting a tangible need in order to show them the spiritual need he can meet eternally and fully. This is why he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And that's why later he calls himself the bread of life. So whether Christ is healing the sick or feeding the hungry. Each and every act is only temporary. People will eventually get sick again. Their stomachs will become empty once more. And this is why Christ only uses these miracles to point people to himself because in him, we are eternally sustained. There are multiple times throughout scripture we see Christ perform miracles, miraculous wonders. And most often when we see this happen, he commands the one he heals to go and tell no one. In my studies, many of the Christian scholars excuse me, call this the messianic secret. If you were to read on, you would see this very thing happen when he heals a man. I'm talking about here in Mark. If you were to read on, you would see this very thing happen when he heals a man with leprosy. 
And he tells him, go and tell no one. Why does he do this? Because he doesn't want the miracles he performs to overshadow the message he came to preach. He came to fulfill his ministry to his father as the suffering servant. He didn't need glory from the crowd. He didn't come to be their earthly king. He didn't come to deliver them out of the hand of Rome. He came to defeat sin and glorify his father. The people did not need a political savior to save them from their oppression. They needed a savior who was going to save them from their sin. Brothers and sisters, this is again why we must never put our hope in anyone or anything that is not Christ. If God wanted our hope placed in anything other than Christ, then he would clearly reveal that to us. But the word he has given, who is his son in the flesh, is the only hope we have. Look at Jesus' response to Peter in verse 38. Again, he says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. There again was only one reason Christ was sent into this world, and it was for the message he came to bring. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God, being rich in mercy, sent forth his Son to be our suffering servant and die the death that we deserve and be resurrected and by doing so, defeating sin and death, securing the salvation of all who would trust in him. The fame meant nothing to Christ. But fulfilling his ministry to his father meant everything. Christian, as the worship team also makes their way back up to the stage. I want to leave you with Jesus' words in Matthew 23 that are essential for us to understand. Jesus possessed the heart of a healer and he remained a suffering servant. I mean, do you understand the paradox here? Someone who was literally healing people in miraculous ways, desired no recognition from the people, but rather wanted to fulfill the ministry he was called to and remain and go to be our suffering servant upon the cross. He met tangible needs and desired not the earthly glory from man, he came solely to fulfill the will of his Father. Church, we do not seek the glory of man, but instead a life of service for the glory of God to be made known. Jesus in Matthew 23 says this, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, and this is started in verse 1 of Matthew 23, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes, excuse me, long. For they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So church, we must never seek to be the most well-known people around us. We must never seek the attention from the world. We must never place anything above our relationship with the Lord. We have only one calling upon our lives. That is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly in the Lord and fulfill our ministry. So if Christ has changed your life, let no one hear the end of it as you serve him until he returns. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And once more, we say thank you for who that you are. Thank you for the life that we have in your son. And thank you that within this text, we can see the heart of your son who desires to heal and act in compassion and desires to do nothing but then seek your face and make you know. Lord, let that be the testimony of our lives as we leave from this place and go into the world. Show us ways in which we can meet the needs of, yes, our brothers and sisters within this room, but also in the community that you have placed us in. Let your name be known to the ends of the earth. Lord, continue to sanctify us in your truth and build us up for the day of your return, not so that we receive glory, but so that your name is known in this place and in everywhere we go. Lord, we love you and we long for the day of your son's return. I pray these things in his name.